Hi, I'm Jason Nichols, and I'm on the left. And I'm Vince Colonnese, and I'm on the right. And, and if, if we, we can't, can't find, find common, common ground, ground in this world, world today, today, then we're all just travelers. Passing each other in an international airport. And this great American experiment will be relegated to the trash bin of history. So let's come together to debate without yelling. And, and let's, let's save, save this, this nation. nation. Screw your freedom, says Howard Stern. And everyone's egging on Larry Elder. Next on Vince and Jason Save the Nation. I think you're going to see a lot more local mandates, Jim. Like me, as a woman, or any menstruating person in this country. Welcome to Vince and Jason's Save the Nation, where three times a week, I, Vince Colonnese, and my buddy Jason Nichols get together to talk about politics from a right-left perspective and try and find some of that common ground. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do. Subscribe to the podcast, Vince and Jason Save the Nation, wherever you can find these podcasts. And of course, find us on YouTube. That's the Daily Caller YouTube page. Like, comment, subscribe, and share. Uh, Jason Nichols, we have a massive clip show today. Yes, so sir. many amazing moments to get to. Absolutely. And, I, and one of the ones that I think is so interesting is Larry Elder. Of course, we are about five days away from, um, from the recall election in California. It looks like it's, uh, it's going to be somewhat close, but many people believe that Gavin Newsom is actually going to survive as governor of California. It's actually a really funky system, the way they work things out with these recalls. But uh, we're going to see in about five days. And the leading Republican candidate is Larry Elder, uh, talk radio host uh, and a controversial figure in politics. But he's running for elected office. And because of what I would say is kind of this funny system, he has uh, an opportunity to actually win this thing. So uh, he was out in public looking very tight and nervous and some things happened. So let's go to that clip and uh, show people uh, what exactly happened when Larry Elder was walking around his home state of California. Okay, Vince, <laughs> what is your reaction to that very strange occurrence? Um, well, first of all, you shouldn't throw eggs at anybody just because you disagree with them. I think the big takeaway I have from that moment, uh, and he was walking around Venice Beach there, uh, is that like if the inverse situation were true, if this were somebody who was mad at a, Demo a black Democrat politician, they were a white lady and they came running up in a black gorilla mask with you know pink hair and throwing eggs at them. Uh, I think the media would you know go crazy about that. They would, they would say it was a racist attack. We haven't seen anything like that. Larry Elder, um, I th think, had said in the wake of that that he had heard racial epithets uh, screamed uh, in the midst of it. But really, it's it's being treated as, you know, oh, just this viral video, somebody threw an egg at Larry Elder, but no five alarm fire by the press. Uh, and I just think it's just a kind of a basic double standard that's on display. Uh, if he was a Democrat black candidate, uh, it'd be treated very differently, I think. 
Well, I think honestly, you know, if, if we're going to keep it 100 here, um, I think the motivation would probably be different if someone were throwing eggs at a black Democratic candidate. Um, I think here it is about political disagreement. And we, of course, trying to model uh, a certain level of conversation, open conversation, civility. Yeah. You know, we certainly deplore anything like that where it starts to look like uh, we're headed towards conflict and violence and and not positive conflict. I think we should uh, confront one another, which is what we do on this show, but uh, certainly not in a way where we don't recognize uh, one another as, you know, people and as human beings and as people with families and all of that. Yeah. Um, so you definitely can't condone what happened there. That is not protest, you know, um, and that was uh, going in a different direction. The thing that most stuck out to me was the woman had really bad aim. I was like, whoa, that yeah. wasn't even close. You know, um, you know, maybe she needed to warm up a little bit or something if she's going to throw an egg at him. Um, but I, I definitely think, um, you know, as much as I think, you know, I, I have some serious disagreements with Larry Elder. I think some of what he says is absurd and ridiculous. Uh, he, he made some comments about uh, giving slaveholders reparations the other day. It was freaking absurd. And uh, I think he's just a provocateur and should not be governor of any state. Um, but I do think, you know, we, we have to, you know, we have to be able to disagree with one another and it undermines your argument when you start throwing things at people yeah. and, you know, uh, behaving that way. Uh, and she I assaulted that. She assaulted that guy too, who stepped up in front of her. I mean, there was, there was like an aide for Larry Elder or somebody who was obviously with Elder's camp steps up in front of her after she threw the eggs and basically blocked her with his body, didn't touch her. And she smacked him. She just straight up clocked him. And, you know, he, you know, he didn't do anything to her, but you know, things were obviously very tense there. Uh, and that's not good. It's just, it feels like a symbol of something bigger, like what's going on in the country, this like intractable tension uh, between political camps. Now that said, like that woman seemed like a lunatic. I mean, who I, I can't even imagine like going, dressing up in a costume and throwing eggs at a political person uh, at all. Um, and that's well, why- I think it was disguise. I think, you know, if you're going to commit a crime, you, you do it with a disguise. Uh, so I think that was the purpose of it. Um, I think, again, when you start talking about some of the things, Larry Elder is a provocateur. That's what he does for a living. He's not a, a balanced conservative. He's not Vince Colonnese. He is a provocateur who says provocative things because it gets listens and eyeballs. And uh, I think, you know, he provokes certain responses. Now, that doesn't say that, you know, you you fall for the uh you know for the banana and the tailpipe or whatever the the saying is doesn't mean that you actually go for the provocation uh that makes you the stupid person in my opinion and that's what that woman did was she you know fell for whatever provocation that got her all angry about was but I now, she needs to be a crazy person i, I don't know but yeah. um larry elder wants people to respond to him in a particular way i don't he know a balanced worldview but, but I, first of all, I don't know if that's the case. I, I mean, obviously there are people out there who um, say provocative things merely to get an audience and don't actually have a moral compass and don't have an ideological compass. I don't, my impression is that's not who Larry Elder is. Larry, 
Larry Elder, I'm pretty sure he moderated um, the Libertarian Party debate back in uh, 2016. I mean, this is he, he clearly has an ideological direction. He thinks about issues uh, and and cares about them. And I don't think my impression is not that he's running for governor as some sort of publicity stunt, but instead that he has genuine feelings about the way California should be governed. Um, you know, he's, for instance, uh, said that he wants to get rid of the loopholes within California for the entertainment industry for Hollywood, because he thinks that, you know, if the rich are going to be taxed uh, at high levels in California, then all of the rich should be equally taxed at those high levels. And there shouldn't be carve outs for the entertainment industry. That has led to um, backlash from Hollywood, uh, who is very, very nervous about the chances of a Gavin Newsom recall. Now, generically, they probably shouldn't be that nervous because Democrats still control the rest of the state. But um, it really tells you a lot. I mean, like Gavin Newsom, pretty unpopular guy with a lot of Californians. Uh, the state is not well managed. You know, a lot of people are leaving it. They're, they have net migration out of the state. Uh, you know, the economic headwinds have gotten worse there. The homelessness problem has gotten worse. The the drug use, uh, the cost of living, that's been a huge thing, has exploded. And this is all under Democratic Party rule. Uh, so as a result, I mean, it's not, and of course, Gavin Newsom, think about what he got in trouble for during the pandemic, sort of the abuse of his own power. Um, well, and, uh, you know, and, and I get what you're saying. And uh, there certainly are issues in California, as there are in many states. We see, uh, of course, some of these Republican governors who have done you know, really bad jobs and are actually costing people lives and livelihood uh, throughout the South. Uh, we've seen this and, you know, with the resurgence of COVID and it's been poorly managed by lots of governors from, you know, both red and blue. So I would agree with that. Uh, I think this uh, recall process is, um, you know, the way they do things in California, they've got to reform that, you know, this idea that you can have 40 candidates, I think there are 40 candidates uh for the recall and essentially if more if i'm not mistaken um and then i want to move on but if more people you know more than 50 percent of californians vote to remove gavin newsom the person with the most with the largest percentage yes. wins. so that right. will be you know let's say it's larry elder and he gets four percent of the vote he becomes the next governor of california Whereas Gavin Newsom, you know, he may get 48 percent. Yeah. Uh, but somehow he loses. That is absurd. And that's not democracy. But I don't like at any rate. No, you're right. California's election system is insane. They they legalized ballot harvesting too some years ago. It's just bad. That's just a bad system. Uh, and but that's California for you. It's just it's just a weird state. Uh, but you're right. It is a strange recall system. I mean, there, there again, I will say there are a lot of weird states, uh, a lot of states that do things. that I <laughs> You just said California. I agree with you on California. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll agree on California. But let's um, let's move on. But before we do, I just want to say that this is our last show before 9-11. Yeah. Uh, the, the 20th anniversary of 9-11, um, one of the most tragic moments. And of course, we both have our personal stories uh, with 9-11, you know, connections to, uh, you know, that area in DC and Northern Virginia, and of course, uh, you know, in New York City as well. Um, I just want to take one quick moment um, to say that, you know, 9-11 was one of the most painful moments in American history. But the aftermath of 9-11 was one of the moments where I saw Americans come together 
uh, from all walks of life, from all backgrounds, from all religions. Uh, we saw, and it you know wasn't universal because we're a country of 300 plus million people, but you know I saw people, you know, go and embrace their their Muslim American neighbors. You know, uh, I saw people go and embrace uh, one another across racial lines, across class lines, and really find common identity in the fact that we love uh, this country and we love what this country is supposed to stand for. And yes, we fall short a lot, but we, we, we found commonality in that. Mm -hmm. And it's out of that spirit that I think that this show um, is born and what we, what we endeavor to do um, and I hope, you know, it's funny, I was talking to some of my friends and we were, you know, these two friends and we were texting and, you know, unfortunately, one of my friends told me that he had had a, another death in the family and I had just been to another uh, funeral for one of his family members before and, and between the three of us, we've lost a lot of people uh, over the last, you know, 20 years. And, you know, we haven't been getting together a lot and I was like, bro, we have to start getting together at times other than funerals mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. we we keep seeing each other at funerals and um i think for me that also relates to to 9 11 in the sense that we come together and we find commonality and common purpose in times of tragedy we need to find a way to bring that out of just being united by tragedy or even be being united by celebration we need yeah. to find a way to come together and find common identity outside of the extremes every yeah. single day. And Americans do that every single day, but we need to try and push that forward. The media is trying to segment us. They have us, they have your right wing media and you have your left wing media and they tell you to hate the Democrats and the Democrats tell you the Republicans are crazy. You know, but we've got to find ways to come together. 9-11, um, I think in the spirit of 9-11 and the spirit of the people that lost their lives as Americans. Um, I think this is something that we really need to try to do. And we try to do it here on Vincent Jason Save the Nation. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think I think everything you said was well said. You know, there's a reason 912 brought us together. It's because all of the sort of frivolous distractions of our life were dispensed with, at least for that moment in the days in the days after 9-11. And just the seriousness of what we had just encountered, confronting our own mortality, confronting our national integrity and how we were going to preserve it and how we were going to work together and rediscovering that we do have a common purpose despite our differences politically. That all happened then. And when you say that, you know, it's strange that it's too bad that you only come together during funerals. It does make sense, though, that people come together during funerals because funerals are another are one of those points where, again, the sort of the frivolity of so many things that we uh, that we think are serious or treat seriously on a daily basis is dispensed with. And we reckon with mortality. We think about the shortness of life. We think about what's beyond that life. Uh, and we think about each other and what kind of time we would like to spend with each other and, and how to make it better. Uh, so yeah, I think 20 years after 9-11, you don't want another 9-11 to be the predicate to create the 9-12. Uh, uh, but at the same time, it is worth remembering. And for those who don't, or too young maybe to, to remember that, it's worth knowing that um, it is possible for this country to come together and it shouldn't have to take a terrorist attack for that to happen. Uh, we should think seriously about our lives and how we wanna lead them and um, how they can be improved uh, through 
uh, your countrymen who are all around you. Absolutely. Let's talk to each other. You know, let's let's, you know, shake hands. Let's watch football games, whether in person yeah. or, you know, you know, don't get mad because one person is wearing a mask. Uh, at least hear the person out who isn't wearing a mask. You know, let's have these kinds of discussions, you know, um, and I think it's important for us and for our future as a country. Now, uh, one person who certainly wanted to social distance was uh, a professor, uh, excuse me, a uh, journalist, I believe her name is Lindsay Go. Is that is that how you would pronounce that? It might be, I don't actually know her name, but I've seen the clip. Uh, I believe her name is Lindsay either Go or Goff. Okay. Uh, depending on how you pronounce that, G-O-U-G-H. Uh, not sure how I pronounce that. Uh, either way, she did not like being surrounded uh, by some of the fans uh, at the Georgia football game. So um, let's take a look and uh, get a reaction out of that. All right, so first of all, let me just say, let's get the uh -huh. serious part out. Don't touch people. If a, if a person, particularly a woman, doesn't want to be touched in public, don't be the idiot who touches her. Um, so I, I just want to get that. That's the serious part. Now, the other parts, uh, I think when people see cameras, they get excited and it's a football game and you got, you know, I understand having your back turned. It's always weird when people are coming up, but, you know, uh, I think Lindsay, <laughs> it's okay. Um, you know, doesn't look like anybody was trying to hurt her, but definitely don't touch people. Don't touch women that don't want to be touched, you know, for that first uh, gentleman. That's not a smart move. What do you think, Vince? Yeah, I don't even, I, I, you know, she said he touched him. I don't even know what happened really there, but here's, here's my core point. Like don't set up a, a live camera shot in front of fans. If you don't want the fans to jump in the camera shot. This is there's people consuming alcohol at a football game, rooting on their team. And you decided that you're going to stand there with a camera in front of you and lights glaring on you. Of course, people are going to jump on camera. That's insane. So this girl, I think this may have been one of her first ever broadcasts of this nature. And she got a great game for it. Georgia Clemson. She shows up and she's got all these fans walking behind her. Of course, they're going to jump into the camera. And she looks so scared. She looks skittish. Like, I can't believe where I am, what's going on, who's jumping into the camera. Well, Somebody should have briefed well, her ahead of time. You're going to a football game. People are going to jump on camera, you know, try and, you know, play it off, have a good time, look like you're enjoying everything because obviously, like, if you're not, we should send somebody else. Yeah, no, I, I think that's true. Um, absolutely that she had to understand that drunk fans are going to be, you know, running up in the camera and all of that. And that's, you know, part of the difficulty of being a reporter, you know, and yes. particularly in a, in a sporting event, but even on the street, um, you know, that that's one of the difficult things. But, and there are times we did see, I don't know if you saw that that other reporter uh, who was, you know, reporting during the, the hurricane and some mm -hmm. guy was running up in his face and, you know, and, and that guy actually got charged and got arrested. Like, Yo, yeah. some of y'all need to chill out. Just because you see a camera 
be a human being. Understand that person's doing their job. Nobody runs up on you when you're in your office doing but your I think, job. I, I think in the case you're referring to, the reason he got arrested though is I'm pretty sure he assaulted the reporter. I mean, like, right? But that's, he, that's a big but again, deal. Like, but again, that woman got touched. That's you know, or or uh, I believe her uh, that she was touched. <laughs> you know? I guess, yeah. I mean, you know, she just looked really panicked. Like the person no, who right. came and put his hat and was like, go dogs, like, don't be mad about that. But I understand people coming up behind you, sometimes you're going to, you know, you're going to be a little skittish. Um, but, you, you know, don't touch people. That's the can thing. I, I, I'm going to throw, I'm sorry, I've got to throw a clip in here and I'm going to ask the, I'm going to, I have to ask our producers to pull this up. But Mike Tobin, the Fox News reporter back in 2013, uh, you ever see Mike Tobin? He's kind of a square jawed dude. He's, He's doing his report outside as a live shot. I don't remember what the situation is. It may have been a storm, but two women come running up to him and try and kiss him on the cheeks in the middle of the report from both sides. And he arm bars both of them. He, he's boom. He put, sticks his arms up, blocks both of them, and just keeps doing his report like nothing happened. It is a brilliant <laughs> moment. Here, I just want you to see this. I'm going to play this for you. It's the, one of the funniest things. Then he turns and leaves quickly, uh, but calmly to the west. Ten seconds later, the second explosion goes off, according to the FBI, at the location where he dropped his police officer, that, where he dropped the uh, where he dropped his knapsack. Shepard, Mike Tobin, live for us, Mike. That was just that was just an incredible moment. I just I mean, I love yeah. that he, he just maintained his cool. He keeps doing the report. Boom. Arms. Please don't do that. And he just keeps going, man. That's got to keep got to keep yeah, that. No, that that's great. I, I will say it's a little different for a woman. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that that's, you know, but I mean, for all of you out there, like let people do their jobs. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like I said, like nobody runs up on you when you're in your cubicle and starts yelling at you and telling you what you're doing is wrong or trying to do what, you know, trying to sabotage you or, or distract you or anything like that. Um, I understand there's a camera there. I'm one of those dudes who tries to jump in the background, you know, <laughs> but don't, you don't have to run up on the person. That's the, that's the big thing. You know, <laughs> jump up and down in the background, you know, hi mom and, and then bounce, but, but don't, don't get in the middle of the shot. I think that that's just, that's just in poor taste. And if you're going to touch people, you deserve to get knocked out. So uh, that's personally possible. Good. All right. So, you know, um, Speaking of sporting events, yeah, <laughs> you know, everybody's favorite person on the Daily Caller, uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci, um, says that you should get vaccinated if you want to go to college football games. We saw college football games packed. Uh, you know, if you watch the NFL open their season, it was absolutely pandemonium in Florida, <laughs> you know, of all places. Um, you know, packed with uh, people. By the way, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are 100% vaccinated. Um, but I'm pretty sure the audience wasn't. And the place was packed. Uh, he had some thoughts about uh, the way football is returning. So let's take a look at that. Big crowds in stadiums, not clear who was required to be vaccinated. Recommendations for masks. But as you can see in these pictures, folks just weren't doing it. If we keep doing this, are we going to be kind of stuck in, in outbreak mode? We could be stuck in outbreak mode. And that's why I think what you're going to be seeing, in addition to the fact that where people are getting voluntarily vaccinated, I think you're going to see a lot more local mandates, Jim. 
I think they're going to be organizations, they're going to be universities, they're going to be colleges, they're going to be sports events. The rule is going to be if you want to participate, you get vaccinated. If not, sorry, you're not going to be able to do it. And I think when we get more and more of that, I think we're going to start seeing a great diminution in the number of cases. Listen, I get folks want to go back to normal life. But when you look at crowds like that, you approve of that or is that just not smart? No, I don't think it's smart. I think when you're dealing particularly in, if you know, outdoors is always better than indoors. But even when you have such a congregate setting of people close together, first, you should be vaccinated. And when you do have congregate settings, particularly indoors, you should be wearing a mask. Okay, what did you think? Well, first of all, like, we don't actually know how many of the people within the stadium were vaccinated. So we're, we're operating on basically just visuals, which is not a really scientific process. It's just if you look at the crowd and you're like, oh, I can't believe all those people are together. Well, they are together. And uh, we don't know what the percentages that are vaccinated. We know a lot of colleges uh, now, especially thanks to the FDA approval of the Pfizer vaccine, are mandating the vaccines anyway. Uh, how so many in a, Florida? How many colleges in Florida are mandating the vaccine? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if they can because of the because of DeSantis's order. Right. But so, I mean, but this game was in Florida. So I think he, you know, in, in reference, uh, wasn't he referencing uh, the recent uh, football games throughout the South? Like that's that's there were tons of college football games outdoors, tons of images of people together, not wearing masks all across the country. But right. Well, so so. Even even if we're not talking about a specific game, um, couldn't we make a um, a basic guess or or a, an estimation, which is what scientists do all the time, based upon the amount of vaccinated people within the within that particular state or within uh, you know, a particular area. Mm -hmm. uh, I think, what is it? 60% of Americans are fully vaccinated. So couldn't we, you know, make a safe estimation that, um, assuming that these college football fans are coming from all walks of life, that they're somewhere in 60 and 70% vaccinated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's probably what you would reasonably base your assessments off of. But my, my only point is like, I just the idea that like we're going to continue to live our lives in lockdown forever. And like we're, what you look at pictures like that and you get scared, you shouldn't get scared if you think the vaccine works. If you think the vaccine's working, which I do, um, then you should be then your view should be that, like, look, people have the liberty to make these decisions for themselves, protect themselves through through getting acquiring immunity. Uh, either they've gotten it from before or they get the vaccine um, and, you know, and then go about your life and then be able to make those decisions. I guess, Jason, I, you know, the, the principle that animates my judgment on all of these COVID questions is in the future and presently, we have to look at there's two different types of leadership we have to decide between for this country. Either we treat the Americans of our country like children and patronize to them and, and act as if we are in charge. When I say we, I see sort of broadly anybody who wields influence um, in the media or in the ruling class, the, the people that are elected lawmakers. Or you treat Americans like they are adults and that they are in charge ultimately of this system and that you present them information and then allow them to render judgments, including judgments that um, that are are not good for them if that's what they so choose in their own liberty. Um, so I, I just I'm kind of getting sick and tired of kind of like the authoritarian impulse. I, I don't I'm not I'm not a fan of that. I think it leads to bad places. So, I, I you know, Vince. 
every time we've spoken about this, and I think you've articulated this view several times, and yeah. I generally understand it. And 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 uh, you know, I don't fully agree with it, but I do understand where you're coming from, and I can certainly un you know, uh, I guess empathize with the idea of uh you know just trusting americans to make the right decision and understanding and letting them know that hey you know you're doing this at your own risk you know mm -hmm. that this yeah. is going to affect you and you know you could end up in an icu mm -hmm. the problem is when they end up in icus it affects all of us so you know number one you know uh that ICU bed is taken up from someone else who could have a long-standing problem. You know, there have been reports, I was watching this report in Houston where they couldn't find a woman uh, who was literally unresponsive uh, from her cancer uh, diagnosis. Yep. They couldn't find her an ICU bed in Houston. And, you know, they were trying to move her from this one hospital that was mm -hmm. 70 miles outside of Houston uh, and, you know, this doctor is calling literally, and it took four days, and you could see the frustration. He's right. like, this didn't happen before. And he was so frustrated with unvaccinated people who were filling up ICUs all throughout the, the Houston area that yes. he couldn't get one of his patients who truly needed it into the hospital, yep. um, into a, a hospital where she could get care. And so it does affect us in that way. The other way that it affects us is I was reading earlier that Medicaid or excuse me, Medicare. Um, first of all, the cost of Medicare um, for treating someone with COVID who is hospitalized is 150 times as much as the cost to vaccinate them fully. So I think a lot of us are like, if you would just get vaccinated, it saves our entire society, a whole lot of money, yes. you know? Um, and, yes. and for Republicans who used to argue for fiscal austerity, who are telling us don't fix roads and bridges and broadband, you know, it gets a little frustrating when it's like, you know, you're saying we don't have money for this. We don't have $3 trillion for that. But yet, you know that this is costing our system and our taxpayers money. I I agree with you. I I agree with you on this. I, I, I by the way, I think on the infrastructure thing we talked about, I you know plenty of Republicans do support road and bridge and broadband funding. Uh, but right. let me just let me set that aside. Let me set that yeah. aside. I agree with you on like the, the what makes sense here. It's like yes, of course, it's cheaper for people to be vaccinated and for the taxpayers to bear the burden of people in hospitals. And yes, people who make bad decisions supplant other people in hospitals. That's true. That's also not a new phenomenon. I mean, think about this. Anybody who ends up in the hospital, not anybody, but there's quite a few people who uh, who uh, are obese by a product of their own decisions, who uh, end up in hospitals. And the, again, bad decision making that led to their hospitalization at some point in their life could be smokers, maybe uh, bad decision making that led to their hospitalizations at some point in life, Man mismanaging a firearm, shooting yourself or, or harming somebody else. Not, you know, not the kind of obviously bad judgment went into that. That bad decision making led to you supplanting a hospital bed. So there are all sorts of people who end up in the hospital as a product of their own bad decisions. That definitely happens. Um, the but my my argument 
here is in order to prevent all this from happening, and in particular when it comes to um, COVID and people becoming sick from it needlessly, when again, there are vaccines available that can very much help them, is you need to earn their trust. This is a two-way relationship. It should not be a punitive one. That's the thing. That's what I'm trying to argue. I don't want this relationship between man and his government to be that the government is just constantly stomping on him until he obeys. So in order for this to work, the public health um, components of the United States need to earn the trust of the American public. They do. And they've abused that trust frequently. And, and what I mean by that, you and I have talked extensively about it, so I won't relitigate all these issues, but little things like Dr. Fauci admitting multiple times that he said things in public that he knew uh, were, um, uh, I, I don't know if, uh, if directly untrue is the word, but the point is like he was expressing not his authentic opinion. Then he would later come out and say, yeah, I was shading what I knew because I, he was trying to control people's behavior. Um, and that's just not good. That's, that's how you diminish trust. It's deceitful. And so enable if it, so why would you have, like, if this was a relationship between you and I, I was constantly lying to you, Jason. And then I was like, Hey, trust me, you should do this thing. You probably wouldn't like, you'd be like, you'd be skeptical. And so as a result, like, like, okay, so there's this massive trust deficit with the government. And now all of a sudden the real problem is the people who aren't listening to the government. Like, no, actually, but they're going to feel the weight of that government because it's using its power to tell them what to do. Now, of course, with you know Biden's big mandate yesterday for well over 100 million Americans to get vaccinated, he says he's out of patience. I'm out of patience. We, we've, we've waited long enough. I'm out of, we're out of patience now. That's not the relationship we're supposed to have in this country. Yeah, so his lack of patience, I sort of understand. Uh, to be honest, because, you know, I think when you see, um, like, you know, I think Joe Biden is trying to echo the feelings of that physician that I was just mentioning in, in the Houston area. He's out of patience, you know what I mean? Much more than Joe Biden, because he is trying to treat people and do his job. And he has, you know, nurses who are working overtime upon overtime. And uh, I think that, you know, people are ready to get, to have this pandemic be over with. Yeah. Where we don't, where the news cycle, we can sit here and talk about whether Larry Elder is a, is a provocateur or not, or whether he's a balanced person, whatever. We, you know, we wanna talk about other things. We don't want this to be the type of situation. And, you know, we, we know that COVID, of course, is here to stay. It's, it's not going anywhere. Right. Um, I think it will always be here, you know, and people who said it's like the flu, I mean, we want to make it, you know, if we can't permanently get rid of it, at least have it at the level of the flu, where, uh, you know, the flu does claim a lot of lives, but it's, you know, not necessarily filling up ICU beds and making it so that, you know, doctors and nurses and administrators and hospitals can't do their jobs. So I understand, I echo Joe Biden's impatience uh, with not so much the average person. I, I believe that there are people who are unvaccinated who are like, I'm getting information from a whole lot of different sources. It's saying different things. 
you know, and I, you know, and Fauci said this at one point and then he changed it then. You know, I, I totally understand that. I think my frustration most is with the people uh, who spread disinformation about uh, COVID, who spread disinformation about vaccines, whose you know articles about whatever experimental drug uh, you know go viral. That's the kind of stuff that frustrates me. That's going to keep a lot of people from feeling safe going to, you know, events like football games. It's going to keep, you know, me from being able to have big events at the university where we can pack people in a room, you know, hundreds of people in a room, right. and bring a great speaker and people can show their faces. It's frustrating when it's like, yo, we could be a couple months away from this. And we've done this before. It's not like vaccines haven't cured or not cured, but vaccines haven't gotten us out of lots of really bad situations. You know, our grandparents used to worry about polio. We don't worry about polio. I don't think what there hadn't been a case since the 70s, the late 70s or something like that because of vaccines. And every kid before, if your kid is in school, they take vaccines. They go to yep. public school. Yep. But all of a sudden, there's all this resistance to this particular vaccine that could get us out of this pandemic. And I'm ready to be done with it. You yeah. know what I mean? So I understand the lack of patience. I also understand trusting the American people to make the right decisions. But sometimes we do compel the American people to, to do certain things. That's what, you know, all of our Supreme Court, uh, th you know, uh, judgments, a lot of them compel people to do things that they may not want to do. That's what, you know, our laws, a lot of them are based upon compelling people to do things that they may not want to do. Um, you know, and of course, uh, we've done this particularly medically with vaccines before. So I think it's time. I think a lot of people are getting frustrated and there's nothing that says door to door. They're going to come by and, and jab you with a with a vaccine and put it into your bloodstream. Um, so it is saying that if you want to participate. In certain elements of society, if you want to hold certain jobs, if you want to do these things, then you need to get vaccinated. That's all it's saying. And we've been saying that that's not a new thing. That's actually been around for quite a while. Yeah, except in in fairly limited environments. So vaccine mandates, by and large, have, a, as, as you noted, applied to schools, uh, grade schools, typically. Uh, in colleges and then healthcare environments, but beyond that, like white collar jobs and and blue collar jobs, for that matter, all most most jobs um, are not asking for your medical records as a precondition for you to be a part of that. We're we're um we're actively medically segregating society right now, and it's worth thinking about the consequences of that. Um, and because now what you've done is say any workplace with over a hundred employees. Uh, now has a vaccine mandate, or you'll be subjected to an onerous testing regime every single week um, to establish that you don't have COVID from now on, uh, or your or your company will be fined into oblivion uh, through for OSHA violations. Um, is going to lead to I think um, some massive upset in the market, uh, and it's gonna it's gonna it'll just it'll peel people off. I anyway I just my um. You know, I, I just I'll just reiterate my core point 
you know, the answer to the massive trust deficit we have in our government can't be punitive because if it is, all you're going to do is foment more distrust and um, it breaks up the system. So, you know, where you and I talk about this idea that we're going to, you know, Vincent Jason saved the nation. We say that with our tongue deeply buried in our cheek, but uh, we do, we are interested in the country succeeding. We are, you know, and one of the ways for that to happen is to restore trust uh, in our institutions. And this is not the path to that. This is only going to make people more distrustful. And, um, and I just, I just think it's scary sort of the direction we're headed in. Well, I, I hear you there. I think one of the things that makes people distrustful is a lot of the disinformation that's out there, but I, I, I agree, do with, agree you. with you that, um, that we definitely do have a trust deficit with our government and some of it is well-earned uh, trust deficit. And, and I wrote about this in an article on the, on the daily caller um, about the trust deficit that African-Americans who are, who uh, many are, are unvaccinated um, or a large minority are unvaccinated um, have a trust deficit with, with the medical establishment and it's well-earned by the medical establishment. So um, I, I think you're right. In some ways, um, at the same time, I'm ready to be done with this pandemic. Yeah, me too. Talk about new things um, and wishing it away. You know, uh, what is it they say? A goal without a plan is a wish. And, you know, wishing it away hasn't worked uh, for the last 18 months. And that's not to say that to all you scientists out there that we've been wishing it away. But there have been people who have uh, some people who even deny that it is a pandemic, um, who even deny that. It is claiming lives, and that's getting frustrating to me. Uh, I think you know voices like ours um, for the seven fans that we reach. Uh, I, you know, I think <laughs> we have a we have a responsibility to actually, you know, promote uh, the best practices that are going to get us towards the end of this pandemic. So, mm. having said that, you know, people are freaking out again over AOC uh, not saying the word mother. Uh, when talking about reproductive health and talking about uh, the new Texas bill on abortion. So let's listen to AOC and, you know, you can give me a reaction. Tell me what you think about her language. We know that anti-choice bills are not about being pro-life because if they were about being pro-life, then the Republican Party would support, frankly, an agenda that helps guaranteed health care that helps ensure that people who do give birth that don't have the resources uh, to care for a child can have that care for a child. This is about making sure that someone like me as a woman or any menstruating person in this country cannot make decisions over their own body. And people like Governor Abbott and Mitch McConnell want to have more control over, over a woman's body than that woman or that person has over themselves. Obviously, uh, it provides uh, at least six weeks uh, for a person uh, to be able to uh, get an abortion. And I'm sorry we have to break it down on, you know, break down biology 101 on national television, but in case no one has informed him before in our life, in his life, six weeks pregnant means two weeks late for your period. And two weeks late on your period for any person, any person with a menstrual cycle can happen if you're stressed, if your diet changes, or for really no reason at all. So you don't have six weeks. We know that none of this is about life. None of this is about supporting life. What this is about is controlling women's bodies. All right. So, um... You know, I think there's a core point there that, that we can discuss. Um, and there's also uh, some people who objected to the language that she used. So mm. 
Uh, I'm gonna let you choose which one you want you want to address most, right? Well, the uh, the 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 thing that I suspect that you and I may be about to dance around, I just want to get to right away, is um, the uh, whether or not it's a life that uh, gets killed in an abortion. Um, I think it is. And so, uh, and I know, and I know pro-life people by and large, I don't know why you would be pro-life if you didn't think that. Um, so yeah, I mean, and, and I've heard interesting debates. I've occasionally I've run across people who are pro-choice who say, yeah, actually it is a, a human, a distinct human life that's, um, being extinguished. Uh, and that's an, that's an interesting starting point. I, you don't often hear people say that. Um, uh, but let me set that aside just for a moment to assess the language that she used in the clip. Um, she referred to menstruating people, which I actually think, I, I don't know if other people have made this connection. I think that this is an attempt to not use the phrase that Cori Bush had used. Remember, Cori Bush had used in congressional testimony, birthing person, birthing person to talk about this. She used menstruating person in this clip. And I think that that was a, as a way to justify abortion, because if you, you, you may be a birthing person and basically, you know, they're referring to women or you would be an aborting person. If you decide to have an abortion, you, because not everybody chooses birth. Some people in that pro-choice arrangement choose abortion. Um, or of course that, of course, in any other category of the way that pregnancy could end too. uh, naturally miscarriage. So many women suffer miscarriages and, and almost nobody discusses this, but it, they're very frequent. Uh, and, yeah. um, I think it's one in eight. You know, or, or I think it's one in eight pregnancies ends in a, in a miscarriage. Yeah, and it's tough. It's so tough for, for so many uh, couples and, and the women especially who have to experience that. Um, but all of that said, I think that that's the reason why she used that phrase. Now, I, I think that this type of phrasing is dehumanizing. I think it, I think it, um, it extracts uh, one of the things that make women women and um, make women so great. It's, a, it's an amazing gift from God. And I don't think we should diminish that. And I think it's okay to acknowledge biology and to still treat people well who uh, decide that they don't want to be called a woman or don't want to be called a man. Um, so I think all those things can happen in concert. I just think, you know, I, and the last point I'll make is like, you know, she started with, I don't know how you could be pro-life if you don't support. And then she laid out her entire agenda. Um, there's plenty of pro-life people who extend incredible resources to help uh, mothers who, um, decide against abortion and to have a child and to give it up for adoption potentially, or to keep the child and to raise it themselves. Um, and there are immense resources that are expended in the United States by countless charities who are designed to help that very thing. Um, a lot of pro-life people who are very uh, giving and supportive in those, in those circumstances. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't doubt that. Um, I, I don't, you know, I haven't seen it, but I, I don't doubt that. One thing that, that I will say is that I think she was referring to the agenda, just like she was laying out her agenda. She was referring to the, the agenda of the GOP and uh, not to individuals uh, who may have hold pro-life beliefs um, who donate their time or their money to those causes. I believe you 100% that there are some uh, who who are against uh, abortion, who also are foster parents and doing, you know, all kinds of work in order to make sure that children's lives uh, and the people who give birth, you know, that their lives are, are 
you know, better. Mm-hmm. And so that they are not in a position where they think that they will need an abortion um, or they're, you know, well-fed and, and, and live productive lives. I, I, I don't doubt that a hundred, you know, I don't doubt that one bit. Um, I think people, you know, largely in the world and in this country are, are largely, you know, good, more good than bad anyway. Right. right. Um, so I, I agree there. Um, the first point that I, that I think is kind of funny to me is, you know, I was watching someone who I believe will hopefully have on the show at some point. Um, I was watching an interview with Jordan Peterson, where I was watching a documentary. They had a documentary about Jordan Peterson, uh, hmm. Dr. Jordan Peterson uh, from the University of Toronto. And one of the things that I, I, I kind of saw some agreement with him was on uh, speech, you know, and, you know, the way we compel speech and, and, and all of that. There were places I agreed and places I didn't. Right. Um, but it's so funny that conservatives who jumped all over that, you know what I mean? And he's become kind of a conservative icon, mm-hmm. um, are the ones who are really freaking out over speech here. You know what I mean? Like she said some different words and oh my God, I'm triggered. That, that, that kind of is kind of, you know, uh, to me, that's a little bit hypocritical that everybody is all now you're all about mandating speech uh mm-hmm. when you know used to be you know just five minutes ago you were the party of free speech and then someone says birthing person and you freak out um or menstruating person and you freak out mm-hmm. um so that i thought was kind of weird um i think that there are situations where uh people who don't identify with with a particular uh, gender identity, uh, who are gender non-binary, who menstruate and, you know, don't consider themselves to be women, you know, and that's the way they identify and to respect that identity. They are a person who menstruates, but okay, you're not a woman. Um, there are people who have children, number one, uh, uh, who, who give birth, who are not mothers. And there are people who have possession of children, raise them, uh, who don't give birth. <laughs> you know, that's like, you know, I'm just thinking about, you know, friends of mine who have been adopted. Yeah. And they're like, that's the person who gave birth to me. That's my mother. Right. There's a difference. Right. Yes. You and know I think what I mean? The key, I think what you're getting at is that words matter, clearly. Uh, and, you know, I, I do think that there's a, a big difference between uh, government compelled speech uh, and reacting to speech that um, is does more to distort reality, I think, than to illuminate it. Um, you know, I, you know, this is like, this was like George Orwell's entire career. I mean, at least his bo- much of his body of work was focused on this in particular, that if you um, can control the vocabulary, control the language, you can control the way people think about issues. Absolutely. This is why, this is why words are so critical, obviously. 100%. Uh, and I think that biological science clearly plays a role and it should, and we should, we should respect it. So, you know, somebody who has a womb and can have children is biologically a woman. Now, are there ways to, you know, talk around that issue and make a distinction about gender and to accommodate somebody who, 
who gets uh, who who feels more comfortable considering themselves something else. Yeah, there are, and obviously, you know, like a, a humane society would grapple with those things. But but all that being said, I, I don't think it benefits us to um, allow social um, science to completely or in a meaningful way to deteriorate reality itself, right? So, you know, we've heard these stories of um, somebody who is a, a woman, a biological woman who identifies as a man, so we refer to them as a transgender man, being in a hospital situation, getting treated for abdominal pain. They mistreat, they misdiagnose it because they, they don't realize that what they're dealing with is an actual biological woman, and it ends up being a pregnancy. It, was a, it, was an, it wasn't whatever they thought it was. They thought it was some other stomach ailment because it was, they thought they were dealing with a male. That, that's not good. That, that obviously is not, that has a distorting effect on society. So we need to clearly have some boundaries for where um, all of these conversations infringe on biological realities. So again, um, you know, the social scientist in me is going to uh, say that I think there's a little bit of a difference between woman and female. Um, and this is why these terms have developed like, you know, being uh, a cisgender woman, you know, um, but there are, you know, I think female is biological. You have, mm -hmm. you know, certain biological parts and male and people say who they're, you know, people who try to marry say gender and mm -hmm. sex are the exact same thing. Um, then, you know, the, the problem that they run into is intersex people. Like, I think you and I talked about Castor Semenya and right, right. You know, other people who, you know, don't necessarily fit uh, clearly in the definition of male or female. Yeah. Um, I think one thing that's that's clear, I would say Castor Semenya is female and and she's a woman, but that's that's the way I would look at it. She has a vagina. Can she give birth? Probably not. Again, <laughs> not every woman or not every female can give birth. You know, these are these are all things that I think when you say birthing person, you are actually just being more specific. So, you know, there are women out there, cisgender, regular, conservative women who will never be able to give birth because of whatever issue uh, that they were born with or, right. or something will happen. Um, you are, you know, you are being specific when you are talking about people who can give birth and that's saying you know that's when they're saying birthing person or menstruating person and i think her point about you know her, her biological point aoc that is biological point about um you know women you know being late on their periods um there are women who have like two periods a year you know what mm -hmm. i mean like all of these kinds of biological things that we assume are uh, so that woman who doesn't have a often, you know, have periods often can get pregnant and then all of a sudden, you know, she doesn't have her menstrual cycle for six weeks. She's not alarmed because she doesn't have a regular menstrual cycle. And, and that mm -hmm. happens. I have a friend who actually um, didn't, you know, didn't have a menstrual cycle at all until she was 18. Mm -hmm. Because she was in she was a really intense athlete, which you know, that physical exertion, according right. to her doctors, was something that uh, made her menstrual cycle, you know, suppressed her menstrual cycle. So, again, 
to say six weeks, you know, and, and in two weeks, you have to figure out that you're pregnant, you know, for people that don't have regular periods, just like you said, for the person who is trans, who didn't realize they were pregnant, you know, it's the same sort of thing uh, for, you know, cisgender women who don't have regular periods. So yeah, I- that's the danger of this. And, and if we look at other what other nations are doing, I'll, I'll just make this really quick point. Other okay. nations are doing. Um, there are other nations, particularly throughout Europe, other developed nations, and most of them give at least 12 weeks, you know, um, before someone can uh, have an abortion. You know, you don't you don't make it six weeks because six weeks is a really short amount of time and people may not actually know that they're pregnant. They may not know once they find out they're pregnant, they got to find the resources yeah. and, and, and make I think the key out. is the, the key in Texas is when the fetal heartbeat is detected. And that that's in the vicinity of six weeks when when you uh, when the baby has a heartbeat. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so it's, it really, you know, but it points to something bigger and even citing the European restrictions. It's that, you know, every society, including ours, because, you know, mankind itself has to grapple with the life that's at stake here. There's there's a life involved. And, you know, obviously, a majority of Americans of all political stripes support restrictions on abortion. It's just a matter of where do you draw that line? That's 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 um, that's the truth is. And uh, that that debate's going to continue. Uh, but for now, Jason, I've got to leave you, brother. I've got to jump. Oh, I've yeah. got to jump back into other political fights. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much. Once again, Vince, it's an awesome conversation. I enjoyed it. Um, And hopefully our audience enjoyed it. If you did like subscribe, comment, tell us where you agree with us and where you disagree with us. We want to get involved and foster this conversation. Uh, You can find us on YouTube on the Daily Caller Facebook watch page and also anywhere a podcast is found every Monday, Wednesday and Friday. We're coming at you. We're going to have some great interviews, some great conversations, uh, and we hope that you'll be be part of our community that tries to save the nation. Um, Happy uh, weekend to all of you. And, you know, uh, for everyone who lost someone during 9-11, our hearts are with you even 20 years later. Peace.